Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It's Louis DiBiase joining you on this Monday edition of the show. Thanks for joining us. If you missed any of our recent podcasts, you can check them out on the uh, the Himalayan podcast app, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, we are up and available on those platforms. Just tell Siri, just tell Alexa, your smart device, to play the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Had a good one yesterday. I did a farewell pod to Jeremy Macklin, who announced his retirement. So you can also check that out on Twitter, at Lockdown Birds, or on our homepage at LockedOnEagles.com. Today we have an awesome conversation that I'm going to get right into because we talked for about 40 minutes. I sat down with OverTheCap.com cap specialist, cap guru, whatever you want to call him. It's Zach Moore on Twitter, at Zach Moore NFL. Just someone that has a great grasp on all things salary cap in the NFL, which after talking with him, just, man, I realize it's another universe. We just have so much that there's just so much to building a team not only through the X's and O's and the scouting and personnel, but also through the money. So let's get into that now. We're talking with Zach Moore of OverTheCap.com right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast. Monday, March 25th, really excited about this portion of the show now, as I've been kind of teasing for the past couple of weeks. We wanted to put it on hold until after the free agency chaos so we could kind of recap it all and get into the salary cap portion of the NFL as it is the offseason. And, of course, the Eagles the past couple of years we've been talking, do the Eagles have enough cap to do this? Do they have enough money to do that? And Howie Roseman each year really seems to amaze us. So got one of the best on now on the money side to talk about it. It's Zach Moore of OverTheCap.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Zach Moore NFL. He's also the author of Caponomics. Really good book. I recommend if you're trying to learn about the salary cap portion of the NFL, which is a really interesting part of the league that you know a guy like Howie Roseman has found a way to really thrive in with that second stint as Eagles GM. So we bring on Zach. Zach, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining the show again. Hey, man. Pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, I'm just happy to be here, and uh, everything's good. Everything's good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. We we talked last year, and it was about kind of the same thing. We were really getting into how Roseman has constructed this roster that, you know, at the time when we were talking, the Eagles were reigning Super Bowl champions. They get to the second round this year. Another pretty solid run despite the struggles. How do you think the Eagles did so far, your initial take? You know, it is early on still. I know the, the major chaos of free agency has kind of passed the Eagles by, but what was your initial thoughts about the job Roseman did at the start of free agency, adding Malik Jackson and Deshaun and bringing in a lot of the, the main core that was already here? I, I, it's been a great offseason again. They've, um, part of the issue, uh, once you become successful in the NFL, is figuring out how to stay there. And the Eagles have sort of mastered this over the last few years of like, I mean, you know, pieces have changed, but we're looking at basically for the third year in a row, kind of like a, the same roster, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, and a Super Bowl team had Torrey Smith as the deep threat. Now you've even upgraded with Deshaun Jackson, even though he's on the older side. Um, you know, you've got defensive ends that have, that have moved on, but now you get Vinny Curry back um, at, at a, you know, in a situation where he's been released just like Malik Jackson, just and you traded for um, for Deshaun Jackson as well. But, like, you get these guys that are coming off big contracts or, or been released, and it doesn't affect your compensatory pick um, system. So in this, um, they're also set up for to get two 
compensatory picks for next year because of the guys they signed. So they've improved in a manner that doesn't affect um, their future ability to acquire these draft picks that are super valuable in giving you, I mean, the NFL draft is a crapshoot where even in the first round, you know, after the top 10 picks, it's like quarterbacks have like a 20% success rate in drafting, you know, it's it's hard for every position. That's just an example. Um, But basically how you succeed through the draft, which is the only way to really succeed because of such the low cost or you have a Patriots model where they have a bunch of low-cost veterans, which the Eagles are implementing in a way as well. But, um, but sticking on this point is you've got to build through the draft, and um, you know the only way to do that is to have enough picks where you're going to miss some, you're going to hit some, and you're going to end up with a situation where um, you know, you, you've, got, you've gotten enough hits where you, you're still able to field a good roster. So, so let me ask you, because you mentioned compensatory picks, it's a pretty new thing in the NFL, still something a lot of people are learning about. What are your thoughts as a money guy on compensatory picks? Because I saw Joe Banner, former Eagles you know, head of personnel, kind of tweeting about how it rewards teams for maybe not going all in on paying a lot of their players. I mean, the purpose is, of course, to help teams who lose unrestricted free agents, but a lot of teams, like the Eagles, are using it as a core fundamental part of their strategy on who to re-sign and how they build contracts. From your perspective as a cap guy, what is your take on the new comp pick system of the NFL? Well, it's it's just a financial decision, right? It's like yeah. is is this player worth this amount of money versus us getting a fourth round pick or a third round whatever kind of pick for him next year. Remember those seventh round picks and stuff like that for some of the lower cost veterans you might lose. Um, you know, those are also really good to package and trade up when you're trying to get someone in the fourth round, third round, whatever. Um, but like overall, it's just another financial decision they have to make. And it doesn't affect compensatory picks aren't affected by, um, the players that are on your roster, like re-signing them. It's affected by guys you lose, which is why the, the Eagles are getting a third round pick and a fourth round pick because Nick Foles signed for 22 million and per year. And then Golden Tate signed for whatever amount of million, I think it was 10 or something yep, like that. Yep, right? Nine, nine point uh, yeah, five, I think. 9.5. So he signed for that. Um, so that ends up being because the compensatory picks so now I'm finally understanding it. Cause I usually just said, Oh, ask Nick Corte about it. He's our guy over the cap. It's really, <laughs> right. really great at this stuff. Um, but like he basically factors it out of like, here's the, pr- like, here are the most expensive players and, uh, that got the most expensive free agent signings. They're in this order. And then the teams get these picks based on if they didn't like say they lost Nick, uh, they lost Golden Tate for ten million, and then they signed someone else for ten million. That would kind of cross each other out. Um, so it's kind of like this balanced system of of figuring out how to, you know, and, and part of what the Eagles have done, which is why I bring up, you know, the strategy of signing uh, Malik Jackson and then who is he? oh Vinny Curry and Vinny Curry, um, two guys to the defensive line. Uh, who are now replacing the departed Michael Bennett, who got the team, uh, got the Eagles, what was it, fifth-round pick, right? And, yep, uh, fifth and a receiver. Uh, who, 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 who is the receiver they got? Well, they, oh, no, I'm sorry. They they dealt for Michael Bennett for a receiver, and then they got a fifth back this year. Right, 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 right. Um, right, Marcus Johnson, right, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, right. And then, so then these comp- they, these guys who got cut, they don't count against the compensatory system which is a really interesting tactic that a lot of the best teams use that I probably didn't go in depth enough on cap. And honestly, I said, cause I, I said it was a good value from a value perspective of like Malik Jackson is now, uh, you know, I think it's a $10 million contract or whatever. 
he, you know, he just signed for 15 million, the market for a top defensive end, which is what he would have, you know, what he, what he was when he could sign the deal uh, three years ago, the market's now at like, you know, $22 million. So, you know, he was getting paid 15, but now he's at 10. Now he's really sort of closer to the level of what his production might be rather than the 15 million a year number. If you, if you see what I'm saying. So it's yeah. like, it, these guys come off big deals, sign smaller deals, and it, and then they also don't count against your compensatory pick system. So if you can figure out how to, you know, find those guys, because that's basically how you kind of rig the compensatory pick system. Um, yeah, it's, it's by really just interesting. signing those guys that are released. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's just another strategy and another financial aspect of the game um, that teams need to understand. Yeah, and it's good to see that Howie Roseman's a guy that – and, you know, he's been doing this really since he's come back with that second stint is he's just really open-minded to trying to add talent and maximize value in any avenue that he can through trades, through, you know, using the comp pick formula to his advantage and, all you know, of course, the cap. Let, let's get into the cap here now with the Eagles because every single year, again, it's, oh, man, the Eagles look at their once again, they're up against it when it comes to salary cap space. I want to ask you, I mean, for, from a from a year-to-year perspective, because you do see the Eagles backloading, which I'll ask you about in a minute, do people worry about yearly cap space a little bit too much when it comes to what a team can do? Yeah, teams, uh, people do, definitely do, um, especially when you're in a, in a position like the Eagles are in right now where they have such a great roster and such a great roster of veteran guys who you can restructure, which is what Roseman does, has been doing every year, which can have consequences down the line. But when you have guys that are performing at a high level, like Elaine Johnson, and you restructure him, like that's not really that's not really a big deal. So like you're able to pull, you know, get yourself five million dollars here or ten million and another six million dollars here. You know, move move a little bit of money around and open up a little cap space to do whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. But to that um, to right now, I mean, they still have, according to over the cap, they still have twenty five point eight uh, twenty five. Point seven five million in cap space. Unbelievable. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Roseman just does. You know, he just makes these moves that you know create a little more space. Um, and and it's it's working. I mean, he just he, he's doing a really good job all around. Is backloading sustainable it, when it comes to Roseman? When when you see how he kicks the can down the road for Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and all these guys, eventually when those cap hits do come up. Can't he really just do the same thing with, you know, a Carson Wentz contract extension or if he did extend Nelson Aguilar and some of the young guys now that eventually their contracts come up and you got to sign them? Can't you really just while Lane Johnson's cap hit comes at a bigger price, you can kind of backload them? I mean, don't, is it a sustainable strategy for Roseman to do what he's been doing with kind of, if you will, kicking the can down the road? Yeah, it's a serious concern because, um, you know, when you talk about got Jason Kelsey's got this, these uh, dead years at the end of it, right? These uh, dummy years. You know, yeah. His contract has it. Ronald Darby's contract has it. Uh, Deshaun Jackson. So, like, like, just, you know, going through these guys, Jackson, you know, if they don't re-sign him in 2020, um, then his contract void years, he's going to have $3.8 million, $3.85 million in dead money. So, it's just like these are, like, dead money costs that are, like, kind of built in unless you re-sign him at the 36-year-old age, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, you know, Malik Jackson's got $4.8 million in dead money in 2022. Um, Kelsey, uh, that's his void year 2022, 7.2. So I'm not sure what's going to happen when all this dead money come, comes around, but I think he's just kind of betting on 
this idea that, um, you know, the cap's going to continue to grow, but then also that rookie contracts are going to stay at a low rate because that's the only way you can kind of withstand all, well, especially in 2022, there will still be some guys on the roster who were drafted to the previous CBA. So no matter what the next rookie contract structure is, which is really the most important thing for the NFLPA and the next CBA, it's increasing the amount of money that rookie contract players make because all the money now is like, I mean, we know that, you know, we all know the thing that like the average NFL career is three years. Um, I mean, something like 64% of the league is in the first four years of the contract. So if 64% of the league is on these, you know, these league mandated deals, I mean, I look at the amount of guys who make it to a second or third contract and it's like, do we really have free agency in the NFL? Like, I mean, <laughs> just, just speaking from the standpoint of Reggie White sued the NFL to get to free agency, but we're still in a position where, some large, some large percentage of those sixty-four percent of guys are never going to see a contract where they like get get their um, you know proper you know they get the ability to bar, you know negotiate their their value rather than just get their value set by an arbitrary number that Jason Fitzgerald at over the cap has proven um, through research where he did um, you know he looked at the veteran performance of players at these positions versus the rookie contract performance of players at these positions. He compared like their pro football reference approximate value number, which is that number all the way to the right. It kind of sum- tries to summarize all the numbers, um, all, all the projection numbers that you know you see in a, a, on the page. Um, it, it's this, you know, so he basically took the approximate value of the rookie contract and the veterans, and he created this formula that I use. This not formula, this sort of um, spreadsheet of. Right. Their real contract value, or their percent, their per, their probability of being in this bracket, or whatever, and just the average value of these guys is higher than what their cost is. Uh, did do, do, do you follow me on that? Did yeah, I no, I do. Explain that correctly. And that's the thing too. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the thing too is with that CBA coming up. I mean, Howie Roseman is banking on that. Like you said, that he's going to be able yeah. to take advantage of all these picks. I mean, he has nine draft picks this year, three in the first two rounds, so that he can eventually. Yeah. And like you said, I think what the cap went up by ten million dollars this year around the league. Yes. So yeah. Yep. that yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and that's, that, that's yeah. the standard it's going to be at. Right. It's going to be soon. Yeah, fifteen million dollars a year, right? So it's like the if it, the it, it, yeah we were we were talking about it before it came on if the rookie contracts are in this same place, then it's just like an extra $15 million that's only going to the veteran group. So you can kind of afford to like have, you know, 10 million in dead money already built in to try and, cause this is the Super Bowl window, right? I mean, of course they're, they, they won the Super Bowl um, two years ago last year. They were just, there was in, you know, another season of injuries and things like that, um, that, that, you know, got in the way of the Super Bowl. They weren't able to overcome those obstacles this year, but Hey man, they almost beat the saints. So, uh, you know, and, and then, yeah, I mean, it was, it was that game was as close as it could be, and then the Saints Rams game was as close as it could be. Um, so who knows what happens if they win that game, right? So we, we might be talking about back to back if things break the other way. I mean, it's, it's football is a crazy sport with a lot of variables in it, um, right. but they've put themselves in a position where they still have this crazy probability of success because of what we said earlier. They basically got the same roster in a lot of ways as long as they find themselves a running back with maybe with one of those first three picks. Um, to to take advantage of this window. No, that's the thing too. Is you know he just we talked about if it's sustainable to keep kicking the can down the road. But as he's doing this, he's maxing out a team right now that 
pretty much the entire core. They have some good young pieces. They have some pieces like Jason Peters that are at the twilight of their career, but a lot of the guys are smack dab in the middle of their prime. I mean, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, even though Jason Kelsey's older, it feels like he's getting better with age. So I, I think that at least, you know, especially with how quick windows can close in the NFL, I like the idea of Howie Roseman just throwing the cap that the, the troubles each year trying to max out every single year you can with this core because again you never know look at Seattle you never know when that that core eventually unravels so take advantage exactly I mean that 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 that's a perfect example because that's you know that is an example of a team that you know still kept the window together but you know it eventually comes to an end and and you know they're showing right now that I think the Seahawks are really a good uh, example of someone that the Eagles have looked towards and implemented similar strategies, you know, from the rookie contract structure of having Wentz and Wilson um, from both teams invested like 28 and 27% of the cap in their defensive line yep. during their Super Bowl champion years. And we know how hard it is to even get yourself to a Super Bowl window. So when you're in this position that they're in, you make much different decisions than a team that say the 2016 Browns that are now at the beginning of a rebuild. Like, mm-hmm. so everyone has different cap decisions to make based on the position they're in. And the Eagles are in this window where it's okay to make some short-term decisions for some long-term. And, and as a fan of the team, as a, you know, as a person in the organization, as, uh, it, all the people that are involved in the organization can understand and, uh, you know, appreciate what that means, you know, what this window means and why they're making these short-term decisions. You mentioned Carson Wentz and how they've kind of used the, the Seattle strategy with Russell Wilson. When do you see, because people were expecting or at least you know contemplating maybe Wentz gets an extension this year because every single year that these big QB contracts happen, you know, Wentz's deal is only going to get bigger. To you, do you see, do you imagine extension with that $25 million that you said over the cap has the Eagles projected at right now? Do you see an extension possibly in the works still this offseason? Or do you think it's maybe a better move for the Eagles to wait until next offseason? The Eagles are in a bit of a difficult position because of the last two years ending an injury. Um, You know, it's it's not an ideal situation, but you you make the point too, is that the Patrick Mahomes it, next year may, you know, people are talking already about a $200 million extension, right. Yeah. Or something, something crazy like that. Um, so do you try and rush Wentz to get it during this off season? I think the situation might call for maybe an extension during the season. Uh, that's oh, the solution I would see it because you probably want to see like seven, eight, nine games, right. Right. To see if he's still playing at this high level, because there were, I mean, in my in my opinion, he had a perfectly fine season last year as well. I agree. Um, you know, he uh, did he take step forwards steps forward. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, he, his completion percentage went up nine whole percentage points, but so did the rest of the league. You know, he threw for twenty five more yards. Uh, you know, I, I think I think his performance went up. I, you know, it, outside of injury concerns, is he someone that you want on your team for the next contract? Yeah. I mean, even with injury concerns, is he someone you want on your team for the next contract? Yeah, because, I mean, injuries, unless it's like something, unless the back injury is something that's really more more serious than, than we, we know as outsiders, um, you know, he's someone you're going to want on your team. So getting getting uh, extension done as soon as possible is probably in everyone's best interest. But are they going to come to an agreement on the numbers considering the injury concerns and considering what Carson Wentz, based on his performance and based on what his agents understand about him, I believe his team is uh, um, Bruce and Ryan Tolner, uh, T-O-L-L-N-E-R, and they also represent um, Jared Goff. 
They so do. Yep. They, you know, yeah. So they're both, um, both guys, uh, Goff and Wentz are going to be coming up for extensions. Um, and you know, they're, they're, I mean, they, they have they have big decisions ahead of them, and in terms of the value that Wentz is going to see, and they're going to have a, a team to compare it to too. Because I'm not sure if the Tolner, uh, those guys have had a big big contract quarterback before, but right now they're going to be in a position where they're basically they have the first and second pick of that year's draft. So whatever the Rams offer, whatever the Eagles offer, the other guy is going to know. I mean, they're going to know what the, what the other guy offered and what the you know, market rate for this next extension may be. It's, it's going to be an interesting situation just sitting in their shoes. Yeah, that's the thing. So you, you mentioned, so here's the thing with Wentz and Goff, since they have the same agent, if I'm the Eagles, I'm okay with almost comparing it to Goff. If I'm the Rams and I know they have the same agent and the agent's probably going to get Goff or yeah. try to get Wentz yeah. and Goff around the same deal, if I'm the Rams, I'm like, Man, I don't think that we should. I mean, if at least I was the Rams, I would not want to pay Goff. If Wentz is the first guy to get the big deal, I wouldn't want to compare. I think it, I think it hurts the Rams more than the Eagles if they're comparing with if the agents are trying to get both contracts around the same thing. Because to me, I'm not trying to pay Carson Jared Goff the amount of money Carson Wentz would get if Wentz has another season next year like he did in 2017. I just don't think Goff is to me worth that kind of contract. That's just my opinion. No, I agree. I think that's a great point. I mean, we were just so there's. I have a, ne- a book proposal I'm working on right now, and one of you know it's about evolution in football, right? It's evolution of ideas, yeah. and you're talking about um, offensive coordinators and stuff. Like, you know, you look at Sean McVay, and a lot of people have kind of brought it up. And, and one of the main things I'm, I'm kind of been thinking about as I write this um, is like offensive coordinators add a tremendous amount of value to the offense but and also to the quarterback who's the most important asset on the field. There's mm-hmm. probably no better example of a quarterback going from something that was, you know, uh, a wasted, you know, an asset that you had that had no value, uh, Jared Goff in 2016. I mean, uh, if you if you traded for, you probably could have traded uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'd say that the team had any other option than quarterback. You know, we we talk about the Josh Rosen market trade market and he had, he didn't have a great season that year but i mean no one had a worse rookie season than jared goff and now right. he looked like a great player the last two years so you kind of look at these um you look at his you know he's strongly vague from where he's sitting and where the rams are sitting it's like hey do we just like try another quarterback because i mean this guy seemed like he was pretty bad but it was that jeff fisher the reason why he was bad right so um yeah if i'm the rams just to bring it back i mean if i'm the rams i'm i'm I'm, I'd rather get golf done before Wentz if I do plan yeah. on um, going with golf because we're talking now. We're talking that after the Aaron Rodgers deal, concerned he's like in his late 30s as well. I mean, the market's now is 33.5 million. That's a, it's a crazy number. It's especially crazy number if you think that you can replace Jared Goff at you know with a you know some, some anyone else you know, and, and you can also do what the Eagles did and. You know, say you have a mid-round pick, or you have you know first-round pick, or you have any sort of assets that you like, like a Jared Goff, that you can trade to move up earlier in the draft. Um, you know, there are other strategies out there, and these guys have got like the Howie Roseman. These general managers keep getting more creative every offseason, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, that's the thing, Goff. At you know that 2016 class of Goff and Dak Prescott, those contracts are coming up, and I'm just very curious to see in that Rams offense if you put Nick Foles at 22 million dollars, which is 
what going to be around 13 million less right. than maybe what Goff is asking for. Just very curious to see what a Sean McVay could do. Even heck with a Nate Sud. I'm not going to compare Nate Sudfeld to Jared Goff, but I just think the value of Sean McVay to Jared Goff is a lot. I think it carries more weight than Fisher's impact on golf. I know Fisher basically is where quarterbacks yeah. went to die with Nick Foles too, but I, I think, I don't know if you agree with me. I think that uh, McVay's positive value towards golf, I think weighs more than Fisher's negative, you know, negative impact. Yeah. And, and I, too, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I like, I like, I like the thing you made because the thing with these offensive minds that, you know, we're seeing is Pat, it's some, it's a point I'm trying to make is that like, Patrick Mahomes isn't Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have Andy Reid, Carson Wentz. Because a lot of people are, you know, this revisionist history of what the Browns should have done. Because everyone's trying to say Sashi Brown. I think because a lot of people dug their heels in and said the Browns were stupid a few years ago when they traded out of the Wentz position, the traded out of the Watson position. And, you know, to an extent, maybe I'm digging my heels in, right? Because I've said the whole time Sashi Brown knew exactly what he was doing. So maybe I'm a little bit of an ideologue as well. But, but like, but to my point is that they, they had a strategy in place um, where they traded out of the Wentz situation, and people are like, oh, they could have gotten Carson Wentz, but what would Carson Wentz have been in that scenario? I mean, that was one of the worst rosters in the NFL. They would have been in the same situation the Browns have always been in. And here we would have been two years later, we would have wasted two years of, of um, three years later, right? Yeah, three, yeah, three full seasons later, not two years. So you would have wasted almost the entirety of Carson Wentz's rookie contract, which is the most valuable asset in all of sports, unquestionably. When a guy can come into the league because of these offensive minds we talk about and perform at a level where he's, you know, completing 65% of his passes, he's averaging 7.5 yards at 10, he's throwing for over 270 yards a game. I mean, that's near what the elite level performers produce, but you're doing it at 3% of the cap rather than 13% of the salary cap. So then the team has 10% of the salary cap more to spend on all these other pieces, which is why the Eagles, the Rams, the Chiefs, have made these deep runs in the playoffs the last two seasons. And it's a strategy that everyone understood could be implemented as the CBA came along. Um, you know, and so, and to that offensive mind strategy, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, and, and Nick Foles too, you, you mentioned Foles at 22 million. I mean, he's already a great value considering the, where the market's going. Um, so that you, it's, a, it's, a, there's a lot of interesting stuff about quarterbacks um, that we can always dive into, um, you know, just interesting ways to look at it. I was going to say we're going to have to do just a separate quarterback cast with me and you because it's 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 interesting what you're yeah, talking about yeah. with the with the Browns because I, I you, you're right I mean the Eagles surrounded you look at their rookie year Wentz had to throw to Doriel Green Beckham and Josh Huff and Nelson Aguilar who yeah. was not nearly what Nelson Aguilar is now and it you know while I think I do think though at the same time Wentz could make more out of little around him than a Jared Goff could but I do get where you're coming from where yeah you mean the Eagles did a great job of maximizing Wentz's rookie contract where if he was in Cleveland I still think he would end up being a lot better than what a Jared Goff would be in these types of situations because I just think Wentz is just more talented and can just you know he has the mobility that I just don't, Jared Goff just can't really make a whole lot happen when I mean we saw it in the Super Bowl when McVay's offense almost seemed like Belichick broke it Goff just could not carry the offense really interesting stuff before no. i let you go oh no i'm sorry go ahead though before we, we move on to the next thing oh no no yeah no no you got me thinking uh all the <laughs> stuff you're saying I, I think so too i mean and then we're talking about that team building strategy as well with the browns right and now they've to, to finish the point on sashi because sometimes they get rambling on this point or that point <laughs> and just keep going but I, I forgot about brown uh sasha brown and it's like 
the team now, where the team is now, the decision they made to not draft Wentz is they had like 33 draft picks over the last three years. Yeah. Um, which and then they created all this cap space by basically just going with a low cost sort of rookie contract entire roster. They had all you know rookie contract guys everywhere. And they didn't spend a lot of money in free agency, and they built up cap space, which then allowed them to make this huge push in this free agency class. That then now they've traded for Odell Beckham They're, and Olivia Vernon. They were able to trade away draft picks because they're um, because they also built up a surplus of draft picks. I mean, they still have more than the allotted draft picks for this year, next, and next year. So it's like they, they've developed such a strong team building strategy that there was almost no chance that they would fail because they'll all they continuously have assets to determine what the best moves to take this organization forward into the future is. And now they're built for crazy short-term success, in my opinion. Even before this offseason, I sat on a Browns podcast with Jack Duffin. Um, I said, the Brown, he asked me to make a crazy prediction for the Browns. I'm like, they're, prob- they're going to win a Super Bowl in the next few years. Wow. And, like, it's, it's not – you know, it's not. I don't say that because. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I say that because you just look at just sort of mathematically speaking, in terms of like the assets they have and the roster construction strategy they have. With guys like Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb, those four guys are on rookie contracts for the next three, uh, two years together, mm-hmm. and they're going to be they're going to cost them about twelve or thirteen. I haven't gotten the exact number, but it's like twelve or thirteen, fourteen percent of the cap but they're going to produce like 35% of the cap in value if they were veteran players, right? Yeah. So then then you have that kind of value there, um, and then you have the Odell Beckhams and the Vernon, and you have all this other, these other pieces, Jarvis Landry, even though he's expensive. I mean, they basically created a situation where they can't ever make a mistake because they just have so many assets, unless they make multiple mistakes. So they increase their probability of success through this analytics, which is exactly what Howie Roseman always talks about. He did this at a... Uh, I think at the Sloan conference or, uh, or at a Wharton conference or something mm-hmm. at Wharton. Um, and, you know, he just talked about, you know, you use analytics and all this stuff just to increase your probability of success. And that's what these organizations are doing. Now. I think it's really interesting what Cleveland is doing. And you saw the, the leap the Eagles took, right, in 2016 going 7-9 to 13-3 and and winning the Super Bowl. I'm not going to predict Cleveland wins the Super Bowl next year, but I think it's very realistic with all the things you're saying that Cleveland can make a very similar step where they go from seven and nine to suddenly becoming a juggernaut, especially if Baker continues to take these steps. And then they have the low cost. I mean, not just low, they have the rookie contract players that then are going to just get their big contracts as, you know, an Odell Beckham and a Vernon comes off their deal or what, I mean, it's, they're, they're not only going to have success short term, they're going to have it long term. So they, they were in a position in 2016 where they were so terrible and there was no path forward, especially if they used that number two pick on Wentz. And then they just basically turned that into like 15 players and still got Baker Mayfield. And all those 15 players, even if they didn't produce, which some of them did, some of them didn't, but it just provided the team with not having to use cap space, which now they've taken advantage of because they made, because in back to back drafts, they got the two most important positions solved in the draft quarterback and pass rusher. So right. it's, it's, it's super interesting. Yes, yeah, so much interesting stuff, and 
Wish we had more time, but let's just get to this final thing that I want to talk with you. We're talking with, again, Zach Moore of Over the Cap, author of Caponomics. You can follow him on Twitter, at Zach Moore NFL. It's Zach with a C-K, not an H. Um, real quick. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, make sure we uh, get that right. So the wide receiver market is something interesting with Philadelphia because they're, they're spending quite a lot of money on Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar, and now bringing back Deshaun Jackson at 32 years old, giving him a contract extension. What is your thoughts on first Aguilar? Because the Eagles are going to keep him, it looks like, on that $9.5 million fifth-year option that they had as he is a first-round pick. Haven't got a contract extension done. Not sure maybe where they are at at, at that kind of conversation. But a lot of people... I've been kind of going back and forth with have said, you know, that's, that's kind of overpaying for a receiver. Nelson Aguilar for the amount of volume he gets for the numbers he puts up just is not worth nine and a half million dollars. For me, I kind of see it the other way. I think it's a 25 year old receiver that has taken step after step, despite last year having a quarterback with a fracture in his back and an overemphasis on Zach Ertz and golden Tate coming in. And to me, nine and a half Zach, like when you look at who's getting, I go to overthecap.com all the time and look at you know the highest paid receivers, and that's around the same range as guys like Randall Cobb and I think it was Marquise Lee and Dante Moncrief in Jacksonville last year. It, to me, I don't know. Let me ask you, is $9.5 million a lot anymore for receivers? Is that overpaying in the market, or is that just really market value at this point for a receiver of Nelson Aguilar, who the, his average the past couple of years has been better than the other players in that range of 8 to $10 million? Yeah, I mean, when you look at that, when you look at where the market stands, it's we talked about rookie contracts and mar- uh, cap growth, and like part of this issue right now in the NFL, the goal was to get veterans paid more and get rid of the first the uh, the rookie contracts were like the Sam Bradfords of the world and stuff like right. that. Yeah. Um. All right, and then but what ended up happening is that. Uh, a lot of that money now is just kind of getting shoved into a couple of veteran markets. It's, I mean, even even linebacker. I mean, C.J. Mosley just signed a deal for seventeen million a year, right? We'll see how the the cash flows work out and stuff like that. But I mean, money is clearly getting pushed in sort of like a and at, to a value that a lot of players are never going to perform at. So like that's why I say it's kind of it's important for the money to be spread out more properly because. Teams are going to overpay for someone, right? I mean, and they're so clearly underpaying for rookie contract players that, like, the veteran markets, like you, the names you mentioned, Marquise Lee, um, you know, guy, guys that are in this Nelson Aguilar category where you wouldn't be like, that guy's worth $10 million a year or 5% of the salary cap like Aguilar is. Um, but that's kind of where the market stands right now because the other issue is um, the only position that can out outlast the the franchise uh, again we go back to the reggie white and do we really have free agency conversation and you know Le'Veon bell you know is a casualty of this situation um other than quarterback you know kirk cousins being an example no one else can outlast the franchise tag so the only people that are moving the market are like the second tier players so teams are now overpaying for like a marquise lee or you know oh, uh, point, yeah. <laughs> paul richardson right because uh, Odell Beckham, I wrote an article about him last year. Like he had to accept this deal that was like basically nineteen million dollars a year, even though Joel Corey wrote an article about how market growth at the quarterback position means that the market growth of every other market, like these expensive markets especially, should be increasing at a at a similar rate. So that's why Aaron Donald brought the market all the way up to twenty three point five million. Or was that Mac? Mac was twenty three point five yeah. million. So Mac was able to move it all the way up there because Donald also moved the market up to 22.5. 
from like 19.8 because they, they had these conversations. The 19.8 was Vaughn Miller previously. They had these, you know, their agent was probably able to make that case that, hey, this is the growth and, and all that. So, you know, the, the Odell Beckham should have seen like a $220 million a year contract, which is what he wanted. But I explained like the franchise tag means that it, to get that kind of money, it, it, they, the Giants would be overpaying them by like $20 million over the franchise tag. And they just have too much leverage to put themselves in that scenario. So the Aguilers of the world are the beneficiaries of it. And part of what I look back, you know, cause I've done a lot of research about Andy Reed um, and his, uh, his, you know, the way he governs his roster, the way he built his roster. My, my next book's actually going to have a large focus on the Eagles and the Browns, oh, uh, the sweet. Eagles strat, you know, the, yeah, like the, the history of the Eagles um, in terms of like Andy Reid and what, what he did. And even going back in history, I'm like kind of looking at, you know, you're looking at the evolution of the game, looking at the competitors in the NFC East, you know, how hard it was for the Eagles to um, compete with the, with the Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins over the first 33 years of the Super Bowl era when Reid took over because those three organizations had won 10 of 33 Super Bowls. So, like, you're in a division with all, like, you know, some historic organizations just like the Eagles are, but – um so, like, you know, so Reed's offense, you know, a lot of the times has these low-cost wide receivers and stuff, but it's, it's a hard strategy to replicate in this era because of those uh, veteran costs. But, you know, with Aguilar right now on a one-year deal, considering that Carson Wentz is the quarterback and doesn't cost anything, it's okay. You know, but are you going to want to keep him long-term? Because in the past, in an Andy Reed sort of system, like, he's a really good, valuable role player, a guy who can give you 800 yards a year. But at this point, you're going to have to pay him for that kind of production. You're going to have to pay him 10, yeah. 12, 13. I mean, Devin Funches just got 13 million or something like that for one year. Um, and Devin Funches is worse than Nelson Aguilar, probably. And that's probably so, why. And that's probably why Aguilar and the Eagles maybe haven't come to an extension. It's just tough too. I go back and forth yeah. with this because you're right that the the market's getting over is over you know, saturated with these second tier wide receivers. But at the same time, like, man, I watched 2016. I just, I see Deshaun's age and Alshon Jeffrey's age. And I see Aguilar only at 25 years old. I just, I don't want to skimp on young offensive talent for Wentz either. So I kind of go back yeah. and forth with it. Dude, it's, it's, it's a hard problem to think about because is Aguilar ever going to be someone, because you're kind of looking at, you're trying to predict what their value is from a production standpoint and then kind of say, are they ever going to be worth this percentage of the salary cap, right? Is Nelson Aguilar ever going to become this player? Um, and athletically speaking, I'm not sure if he is just looking at him play. I mean, uh, he's gotten pretty big, you know, plenty of opportunities to be the guy, right? I mean, to, to have a, uh, you know, uh, probably a better performance than, um, you know, 736 yards, you know, he had 97 targets. I mean, he had a good season. I mean, he's a good player, but is he going to be your number one guy? Um, and, you know, the kind of money that you're going to pay him, he's got to be your 1A guy. Or because the wide receiver market might be at $20 million soon if Odell asks for more money from Cleveland, maybe $13 million is a good deal for someone who's going to give you 900 yards anyway. And then you try and draft someone when Alshon gets older. Uh, you know, it's, it's – the but the good, the benefit for the Eagles right now is they have at least one more year once on a rookie contract. That's that's positive. But as Wentz becomes more expensive, if you're going to want to still have this well-rounded team, where you invest on this defensive line, and and, and you know it, more issues come up where you've got to you got to solve them through the draft. Hopefully, right. 
Right. So, I mean, at least for now, though, I mean, they do have the flexibility to pay Alshon and Aguilar and Deshaun. Yeah. And, with, yeah. and, you know, Zach, you see it. The, the final four teams this year, top four in offense. I mean, this is the way it's going, too. So, for right now, at least... And even maybe later on, he might be worth it, or it might be doable. I don't know if he's going to be worth it, but it might be doable because of Alshon and Jackson's contracts eventually coming off. But it's really interesting, again, the the receiver dynamic in the league right now based on the value and their importance. Yeah, and and, but to remember, 2017, the final four teams were the top four defenses. And Kevin Clark wrote a great article article on this in that – uh, Belichick taught us the lesson that we always, you know, he always teaches us is that adaptability is the most important thing. The, the ability to be versatile and adapt to whatever you're facing so you can stop that offense or expose that defense with your, you know, depending on if you run the, like, you know, we've, we've seen LeGarrette Blunt uh, against bad, like the bad Colts rush defense in 2014. He ran for like almost 200 yards. They just basically just handed the ball to Blount and were like, you guys are terrible at run defense. We're going to beat you with this. So, you know, uh, that's you know that's kind of what you got to think about too. It, if you make that decision, that's what you have to think about when you're drafting, and then when you're looking on free agent markets. I mean, it's just a fun puzzle to try and solve, right? Seriously, I mean, it's so to, complex. It's not like yeah. the NBA where you just get two stars and you're good, right? Right. I mean, it, you the overall there's a million different ways to execute on this strategy, and a bunch of different decisions you can make in free agency or the draft that then that then influence another decision you make. Um, and then, you know, maybe you could have made this decision instead and had this amount of value here, right? Like people talk about if the Cowboys drafted Jalen Ramsey rather than Ezekiel Elliott, right? Like yeah. what do all these decisions mean? Um, so it's just, it, they've got, they got some thinking to do, but, you know, as an Eagles fan, you can rest assured knowing that you probably got the best, uh, you know, one of the three best guys in the league doing it, right? Belichick, Roseman, and off the top of my head, I can't really think of I mean, who else would you put in it, there. Though, I don't I mean- know. They've, they've come a long way from him getting sent to the other side of the Novacare complex and Chip Kelly taken over a couple of years ago. Yeah. He, he, he specifically has come such a long way because his first stint, I mean, he was aggressive with the Dream Team whole era and stuff, but he just has come back and it's like he just seems like he has so much more control with it. Well, he had a year off where he apparently was just talking to people from various disciplines and like just becoming a smarter, more well-rounded guy, probably – probably reflecting on some of the decisions he made. But then here's the thing. He got that lesson of that year off, and I'm sure, like, he grew a lot in terms of intellectually. And, like, you know, he's an intellectually curious guy, too. I mean, you can tell that every time he speaks. Um, and then you've got a great owner as well. Jeffrey Lurie is one of the best owners in the league. And part of this book I'm writing, you know, like, I look at some of the owners, and the best dynasties have great owners. Robert Kraft, here's a, a, a piece of, about Robert Kraft. Is he bought the team in 1994, and he talked about the value of, you know, if player A is going to make $10 million a year and he's going to produce at this level, but player B is worth $2.5 million a year, but he's going to give you 90% of the production of player A, you go with player B every time. That's basically the entire philosophy of how they govern their organization. And he said he was going to do that in 1994 because he saw market inefficiencies were going to present themselves in this new salary cap system. So Jeffrey Lurie has like kind of the same business sort of um, influence on the team. And then you look at Roseman and, you know, kind of to wrap it around him, he's like, now you've got this smart guy who's also spent 14 years in the system, growing up in the system that Andy Reid was creating, and, and Jim Johnson on the defensive side of the ball. And now you have an, uh, a team 
with Peterson, who learned under Reed, and Schwartz, who has a similar attacking style of defense, but it's even a better strategy with the wide nine than the zone blitzing because he's, he gets pressure with four, and his wide nine was actually first developed to stop the stretch run plays of the Indianapolis Colts with Edger and James because he saw Bill Belichick and the Patriots expanding the outside <laughs> linebackers to stop that stretch play. And then, like, I mean, it's just – Roseman knows exactly what he's building, and he has two great strategists on both sides of the ball who both can think like a head coach as well, with Schwartz having been one before. Oh, so much good stuff, Zach. Thank you so much for coming on again, man. And we'll definitely have to get you on again during the off season, maybe around draft time once again. But this is Zach Moore of Over the Cap awesome. joining me on the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Zach, Z-A-C-K Moore NFL, and he is also the author of Caponomics. Go check that out if you want to learn more about the salary cap in the NFL, which clearly, I mean, talking for 42 minutes and counting right now, I mean, just such a complex, yeah. an awesome, intriguing part of the NFL, just roster building in general, such an awesome puzzle. Zach, hey, man, once again, thanks for coming on the show, dude. Hey, man, thanks for having me as always. I appreciate it. Wow, that was uh, some awesome stuff. I hope you guys followed along with all of that for 42 minutes. Uh, some some unbelievable stuff there from Zach Moore of Over the Cap. Just so, so much to get into with how Howie has changed his strategy the second time around as GM and with backloading and dummy years and the Wentz extension. We just got into so much. Zach's really great football mind that I really recommend you checking out all his stuff on Twitter at Zach Moore NFL. Read his book, Cap- Caponomics. I mean, really just football in general is such a – we, we think we have a grasp about how it all works, but just not only just X's and O's, but when you get really deep into how, you know, game plans work and how roster construction goes based on the draft and scouting and the money side in general is like a whole different universe. It's, it makes me respect the game so much more because there's just so much to learn. It's just so hard to be as good as the Eagles have been the past couple of years. So, and they haven't really been able to do it find that sustained success throughout the majority of their history outside of the Andy Reid era and now the Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman era. So looks like they have a really good grasp on it and it seems like Zach Moore definitely did a good job of depicting what the Eagles and teams like the Browns have been doing to find sustained success. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this edition of the Lockdown Eagles podcast. We have another guest on tomorrow. It's one of the my guys. It's Bruce Anderson, running back of North Dakota State, will join me on the show tomorrow. So make sure you check that out. And as always, thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. And let's go, Birds.